Hi, this is Roger Boyd of Head East, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Yo, this is Wolf Hoffman from Accept, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Joe Satriani, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 430 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 430, want to wish you a happy 2020, happy new year. Hard to believe we are now in our 11th year with the Iron City Rocks podcast and invite you cordially to check out the other 429 preceding podcasts. Uh, it's been a pleasure working and uh, helping promote uh, music and, and rock music, specifically in Pittsburgh and, and really all over the world. Episode 430, we've got a really interesting guest joining us. We have Andrew Elt, uh, a name that you may remember from the band The Sleazebees. Um, Sleazebees played Pittsburgh once, as I found out. Uh, uh, sadly, as I mentioned, I was talking to Andrew about it. it was right around the time I graduated from high school. I was trying to figure out if it might have even been the night I graduated in 1990. Uh, it was in June. Um, so it goes back quite a ways. They had an incredible song with Strangers in Paradise and, and really uh, have several really cool albums. I invite you to go back. If you can find the CDs, uh, I know they're on Spotify. Um, check out the Sleazebees. But the band he is fronting now, in addition to the Sleazebees, He's called Seven Miles to Pittsburgh, and uh, you know, is, is a it, being from Pittsburgh and uh, promoting music in Pittsburgh. When that band came across uh, our desk, the name kind of jumped off the page. Like, why don't we know who this band is? And then I read, well, you know, I saw the Sleazebees, and then I realized they're from the Netherlands. So uh, definitely had my curiosity up. So I checked it out, and they have a, a, a fantastic. Um, sophomore album with Revolution on hold so we wanted to get Andrew on the phone he was nice enough to give us a, a long distance call from uh, the Netherlands and, and we're going to bring you that chat in uh, just a moment uh, also on this episode for the blues fans we have Taz Crew who will be coming in to do a show at Club Cafe on the 16th uh, really cool blues music I've uh, got a lot of other flavors in his music, so we'll talk about that uh, in just a little while when we get to Taz on the in that interview. So without further ado, we're going to play you a little bit of Seven Miles to Pittsburgh. We'll get into that interview with Andrew Elt.
ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have from seven miles to Pittsburgh, Andrew Elt. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing great. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. We were joining us uh, this morning, our time, afternoon, your time from the Netherlands. Um, I think a lot of people will remember your your uh, other band, let's say, because I know you guys are still officially together, the Sleazebees. Uh, mm-hmm. But you've got a fantastic album uh, with your current band, Seven Miles to Pittsburgh, which obviously jumped off the page at us when the album information came across. Um, the second album, actually, Revolution on Hold. Mm-hmm. Um, the obvious question, and I almost hate to ask it, but uh, how did the name name of the band? Obviously, you have a song called Pittsburgh on your first album, but right. what was the what was the was it just something you were in? It looks like you know with the Sleazebees, you hadn't been here in quite a while, right? So why Pittsburgh? Well, you know, it's it's really hard to come up with a name for for, for a band, especially you know, new band. You got, you got to find a name. Writing songs is relatively easy. Recording's pretty easy compared to get finding an original name. Because obviously, with um, you know, with the uh, the internet and uh, and and what you can come up with a great name, and then you go like, okay, let's see if anybody else has it, and then you find out that you know every starting band has already has your name, or there's some you know wedding band in uh, Nebraska that has that name too. So it was really hard to find a, a a cool. Well, it wasn't hard to find a cool name, but it was hard to find one that hadn't been taken already. So I don't. I'd already written the song Pittsburgh um for the first album like you said and uh that song um is is loosely based on 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 reality uh, as we talked about before you started this interview i i worked with uh, walt trout um for a long time still do in europe as his tour manager and we would always uh, play uh, in uh, Blonox just outside of pittsburgh in a place called moondogs like on a monday or a tuesday night it was always this filling gig and for some reason when I, you know, started writing uh, t- the, for the music that would be Pittsburgh, that that story came up because um, it was always in my mind. It was always like this a dreary day uh, traveling, you know, up the turnpike into, you know, the the, the exit there from Blownox. And, it, and, you know, how some things in your mind kind of like like a little movie or whatever. So I kind of just took that idea and just and, and went with it. And um and, and and wrote the song. So when so fast forward, uh, when when it was time to come up with a name, we were just so sick and tired of not having a name. The record was done; it was ready to go. You know, we had the sleeve, we had the liner notes, everything was in place. No name. So I said, let's just let's just pick one of our songs, and Pittsburgh came to mind. And just to call your band Pittsburgh would be, I don't know, I guess you'd have to maybe at least be from the state of Pennsylvania. To at least <laughs> justify doing that, like Boston did or whatever. Um, so I, I just took the the opening line, seven miles to Pittsburgh, and uh, and used that. And luckily, nobody had that name. That's yeah, that, but so that's that's got to be a unique one. Even I can't even think of another name, a band that actually had Pittsburgh as a name. Because you're right, that, that would have been kind of a. a an odd name, you know, Boston's in Chicago are probably the only two bands I can think of off the top of my head that have just flat out used a city. Yeah, and, and state maybe. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, it makes makes for an interesting story, especially when you know yeah. you look into it. Because like I said, obviously a press release comes in, I see that name, and it kind of jumps out at yeah, me. And then up. like, yeah, yeah. oh, they're from the Netherlands. What the heck do they know about Pittsburgh? And then I yeah. watched watched a, a clip of the video from Pittsburgh, yeah. and I'm like, okay. 
they know where we're at, obviously. Yeah, you recognize the uh, yeah. Yeah. The, well, and the thing is, and, and Pittsburgh always had a had a. It it, it I don't know. I, I just like I've always kind of liked this the city cities like that. You know, you have Pittsburgh and the states. You know, the Steel City. You know that are that are going through rough times. You know, blue collar, hardworking. You have them all over the world. You have them in in Holland. You have them in um, in the UK. Sheffield is the steel city. And where I live, I live right on the border to Germany, just across the German border. We have uh, um, uh, steelworks. You know, in 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 the German equivalent. So, and I always kind of like the people in 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 those places because they're honest, hardworking. You know, uh, no no BS. Uh, it's all there. You know, I kind of like that vibe. Even though if you look around, it's like past glory, you know, it's 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 been undone. But the people are still, you know, tough and 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 cool. So that right. that, that, that always appealed to me. Yeah, and it is a very sincere place, you know. I think it's it's a lot of what you see is what you get, you know, yeah, with, with Pittsburgh. Uh, as much as it pains me to say, this Cleveland, <laughs> some cities like that, very similar. Um, you know, it's just authentic and yeah. it's, it's a cool tribute it's a great song um you you were um i have to say you know watching videos of you guys andrew i, I have to wonder if you had found ponce de leon's fountain of youth you don't look any older than you did 30 years ago you know as i mentioned it at the top when you and i were just talking about uh, the show you guys did in 1990 you were at someplace else here in pittsburgh was the last time the sleazebees were here you look like the same guy i mean is there um do you have a secret to it you have fitness nut or I wish, just man if lucky? i had a secret to it i quit the music business and i put it in a bottle <laughs> you know no no that that's no i, I don't know man uh i, I just always even from in the days when, you know, what they now call hair metal, and back in the 90s, nobody had ever heard of hair metal. It was just, that was rock, and that was it. Um, even back then, I was just, you know, I was never, I, I, I was just always myself, uh, as far as the way I, I um, you know, express myself, dress, uh, cut my hair, or not cut my hair. And I've always just kind of kept, kept doing that kept to that and and music has always been in, in, in a part of my life you, you know either making music playing or working for other people who do that so it's always been something i enjoyed doing so you know, may, maybe that's the reason why you know well on photographs it always looks you know and from a distance <laughs> hey, well I, i'll admit i watched a, a video just this morning i think it was maybe a year or so old of you performing the song pittsburgh live and i'm like dude looks like he's you know 35 yeah. you know that that's uh impressive I'll tell you what, after a gig i don't feel 35 <laughs> yeah yeah i, I still try and uh, I'll, I'll still try and uh, you know keep up the uh i don't know keep keep, keep up the, the 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 farce as it were Hey, whatever works for you. And I, I just, yeah, I just saw a Brian May over the summer live, and you know, I think he's seventy-two. And I'm he's envious, still envious of how well he moves around. He's yeah. got thicker hair than I do, and like something's yeah. not fair. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is the air in Pittsburgh. I don't know. The, the, yeah, you never know. <laughs> Could be. Um, can you talk a little bit about? I mean, when you put this band together, um, you guys have. I don't want to say a mature sound, but there's certainly your lyrics are a lot more thought provoking than than you know what you were writing in 1990. Is that oh, just yeah, kind of a, um, a symptom of maturation as you as a songwriter, or you know coming from a place that they're more authentic, coming from a man of your age as opposed to singing about chicks and things like that? 
Well, yeah, it's, you're right, but it's not that I, it, you know, I, I changed my way of writing overnight because um, I don't know if we did a a third uh, Sleazebees album that only came out. It didn't come out officially in the States called Insanity Beach. That was the last studio album we did. And even if you get a chance to listen to, to that, I don't know if it's on Spotify or whatever, but yeah, the lyrics, they're already going in a different direction. And I think it had to, I mean, after a while, to, to me, there's only so many songs you can write about partying and chicks and, right. you know, and and stuff like that. To, to me, at least. I mean, back in the in the eighties and, and the early nineties, it, it didn't matter. You know, here comes another one. It was party time anyway, right? Um, I think grunge kicked everything, you know, back into its place. And uh, uh, it's it's really I don't know. It's just a natural. It was just a natural progression for me to to the before Sleazebees, I was already writing songs that had you know some social commentary, some political views, some some opinions. And but it, it back, you know, pre Sleazebees, pre 80s, it just wasn't cool to to sing about uh, stuff like that. So I, it kind of just got went on the back burner for a while. But nowadays, I don't know everybody's you know, everybody can, can express their opinions now through, you know, social media and whatever. And I just choose to do it through my songs, even even though sometimes I think, you know, dude, really, is, do you really need to, you know, bring up a. For example, uh, um, abuse in the Catholic Church as a subject for one of your rock songs. You know, that's me talking to myself. I'm like, uh, I don't know. But, you know, sometimes just the way songs, you know, evolve and you just kind of got to go with it. Yeah. And that's a really, really interesting point. You know, we look at, you know, a lot of musicians like I think of, of you know, another fabulous songwriter, Janie Lane. And you look at the, the music he wrote during that, you know, 86 to, to 91 period and it's okay you know there's a lot of fun lyrics so yeah. you know some some deep lyrics as well but then you know there was a band that you know people said you know they kind of chased the grunge sound but you know you don't necessarily know inside someone's head as you mentioned you know you wrote songs that were maybe a little bit more thought-provoking before yeah. hair metal but you couldn't release them and it would have been you know who are these buzzkill you know that would have been you know what it would have been perceived as in 1987 had you put yeah, out yeah, definitely and I, th- I think maybe, maybe a lot of a lot of bands in, in that period did write songs like that they just never came across as as a serious uh, because of the, of the melody of the song you know when grunge came along everything went to minor the minor chords and and it suddenly sounded really drab and dreary and then it was like oh yeah okay but um, for it sounded you know, more I, serious. <laughs> yeah, well, I always use an example. It has nothing to do with 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 the hair metal, but it it it, it always you know uh, hits hits the nail on the head, so to speak. Is when Bruce Springsteen uh, released uh, "Born in the USA." Right. I mean, that's a, a party song. You know, you you see Bruce perform that at uh, Meadowlands, you know, for the for the eighth time in a row, and and he starts that song, and out come the you know, with all respect, out come the flags, hand on heart, and yeah, man, you know, USA, USA. But it's the lyrics are heavy. Yeah, I mean, extremely. Really, I know, and it was uh, so. So it, it really just depends on how how it's. I wouldn't say packaged. I don't want to use that word because it's it's just. It, you know, the song doesn't have to be a minor, unhappy uh, um, uh, song for it to, to carry a lyric. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great point. Now, um, for, for you know, we we don't 
obviously in the United States, music has trends and is a little more uh, cyclical than some parts of the world. You know, you mentioned your proximity to Germany, mm-hmm. uh, and I know from talking to other artists, um, Axel Rudy Pell, for example, comes to mind right. that, that enjoyed pretty tremendous success in Europe that struggled to make it worth coming to the United States. Mm-hmm. Is is Seven Miles to Pittsburgh um, a band that, you know, you could see touring the U.S. with, or is it just at this point not financially makes sense t- to come here? Well, um, I mean, fine. It's, it's, there's always finances involved. Obviously, you got to get on a plane and you got to go over there and you got to rent gear and et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that's the biggest problem. The biggest problem, and you know, without getting too um, uh, too deep into you know permits and whatever, but trying to get a work permit just to go to the states, that on its own for a band from from Europe is is so hard to 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 get going. Um, Whereas, you know, if, if bands from the States come to Europe, it's, it's, they don't have any problem coming over and playing, which is great. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and go like, oh, well, you know, why them and not us? So it, it is extremely hard to do. Not, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't want to do it, of course, you know, um, but the reality also is, is that when we came over with Sleazebees back in, in the eighties, nineties, there was a market for it. So it was a, a lot. Yeah, I'd say it was easier. Yeah, through you know when we were with Atlantic Records, they would, yeah, you need a work permit. Yeah, sure, no problem. You know they would they would take care of it. But nowadays it's a lot tougher. Would you say as a band, you know, as a relatively new band with your sophomore album, is it easier to break a rock band in Europe than it is in the U.S.? Obviously, you've got experience, you know, with working with Walter and in the U.S. markets. Is it easier there, do you think, for, for a band no, as opposed to a new band here? No, I don't think it's easier. I think it's kind of the same. I think it's just the the, the, the times that we live in, you know. Back in the day, you you, you were dependent on your fans uh, for your existence, you know. That, 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 that was a hand-in-hand thing. They go to record stores, buy product. And even though the record company might, might have taken the most of, of that money, there was, uh, there, there was funds there to, you know... Uh, promote a band to stick the band on the road with as a support for another band i mean the, the market was huge uh, nowadays um you know with 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 the social media and the internet and whatever and the technical advances in recording everybody and anybody can make an album there is no such thing as demos anymore you know do demos but there's also hardly any record companies you know most most record companies including ours that's just ourselves that's just you know a name we've given you know, an outlet to get the, get the album out there, but you don't really sell that much uh, product anymore because everybody can listen to it on Spotify and, and and all those places. So the resources, the the, fi- the financial resources, are very limited to to actually you know get out there and play. And it's the same in the states as it is over here. Um, the the one thing that we have going for us coming from the Netherlands is if we play the Netherlands, then you know it's all relatively close by and it's a small country. So, you know, you can you can do quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point. It's very difficult. The playing field is almost so level when it comes to music that it's it's hard to stand out, you know, unless you've got a name that yeah. people recognize. Um, you know, one 
band's album, you know, and we get dozens and dozens per day. And sometimes right. it's hard to just know. You don't have time to listen to everything. It's it's. I was thinking about this with you know with movie streaming services anymore. It's so easy to just jump from show to show to show that it's almost like, you know, it really messes with your attention span. Yeah. You know, yeah. where in the in the day, if I went to a record store and I bought screwed, blued, and tattooed. You know, I stuck it in my car, and I had maybe four or five other cassettes you yeah. know, showing my age in the car, and I was going <laughs> to yeah. listen to the crap out of it, you know. Um, now yeah. it's like, and oh, also, well, I'm not real crazy about the second song. I'm going to give up on this band and move on to somebody else. Yeah, you that, yeah you're right about the attention span thing. And it's also that, um, you know, back back in, in when, when I was you know, st- starting out and I was listening to, to, uh, to records and I, I still listen to vinyl is that, you know, for ex- this is the example you buy something like Thin Lizzy Live and Dangerous, you know, a lot of live albums back then, or you'd buy Kiss Alive too. And that would be your, your video for the whole show. You know, you'd put it, you put it on, you'd open the gatefold sleeve and you'd look at those pictures until, you know, until your eyes started to water and, but you would visualize what it would be like to actually see these bands. And nowadays, you want to watch something, you just type it in YouTube, and there it is. You know, it'll, it'll just it'll just show up, and and then you can see, uh, you know, Grand Funk play, uh, I don't know, Shea Stadium in '71, if you want. You know, back in the day, you just had to visualize, imagine it, and then when the band came to town, you made sure you got tickets. And nowadays, the band comes to town, man, 50 people show up. You know. Yeah, <laughs> and even even in in the era, where, you know, when you were touring the U.S. with the Sleazebees, I mean. We got three and a half minutes of what you guys were somewhat like, you know, from the video that MTV would spin. And, you know, but still going to see a band would make a big difference. I remember uh, the band Extreme, you know, when, when Kid Ego came out, you know, watching that yeah, video right. going, okay, I'm not really feeling this, but then you get a chance to see them live. And you're like, wow, you know, because you're, the video is still a producer's, you know, a filmmaker's conceptualization of a band. Right. Um, where you put it on stage, give me those four guys, five guys, whoever's, you know, in the band you're going to see, to see the real thing. So, you know, I, I, it's nice, and I, and I miss that area. You know, sometimes, you know, bands drop so many videos and singles before an album comes out. I'd prefer to just wait and listen to the whole album, you know, but that's maybe me showing my age. Well, well, there's, and there's nothing wrong with that, and 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 it's no criticism to to uh, to kids nowadays, you know, because they they just grow up. I mean, they they have all that digital uh, um, awareness and 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 facilities at their disposal, which which we didn't have, and that's just a sign of the times. It's the way it is, and kind of just have to. I guess you have to uh, accept that. Um, you know, tickets now to go and see a, a band. I was talking to this with a friend of mine the other day. You want to go see. I don't know, whoever comes, you know, and they always come into the, the, the big venues, you know, tickets are like 70, 80 bucks or euros, whatever you want to call them. Back in the day, I'd go see Iron Maiden play, uh, you know, like 50 miles from my house for, for 15 bucks, you know, and it was the, the, uh, the number of the Beast tour. And it was like, you don't, that doesn't happen anymore, you know, the, the productions costs, costs have gone through the roof. And, and people just don't go see bands. The only people, because I, I mean, I play in a tribute band also, a Zeppelin band, and I do that because I just love performing. And the, the reality of it is, is you get more gigs, and it's, you know, it's strange. It's a kind of a catch-22, more gigs with a, a tribute band than you do with your own band. Uh, but but the people that come to see, see you are the people that used to go see bands back in the day. They are your audience. They're like between 50 and 70 years old. 
I mean, the groupies of my groupies now are 65, man. It's, it's insane. <laughs> it was, it's interesting. You, you, you were headed down an exact path. I was going to ask you about physical graffiti. Mm-hmm. Um, is in some respects, is it more lucrative, um, even when you play a show? Because I know in the United States, tribute bands have become enormous. You know, yeah, I, it's I, crazy over here. It's, it's insane. And, and, I, people, people tend. A lot of people uh, go, you know, think that that they stand in the way of people going to see bands that write and perform original music. And I don't really see it that way. I just see it as a, as it's again a sign of the times. The people that that want to go out, want to get off, you know, get their lazy ass off the couch and go and see a band. They they're the people that have money to go see see a band. They just don't go out and check out a new band anymore and and the young kids don't do that anyway because they're at home you know watching it watching youtube skype you know whatever going on spotify and they're like you said their attention span is a lot shorter and their access to music is at their disposal instantly they don't have to go to tower records they don't have to go to the local record store that you had back then you know where you'd hang out and talk about music and go hey man you guess who's coming to town next week you going yeah where'd you get you buy your tickets at the record store you know that's all gone yeah um, so, you know. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly Except right. And even, <laughs> even even when an album would drop, you know, and that used to be a huge event. I mean, I'm, everybody all over the world remembers when the Black Album came out from Metallica. Yeah. You know, it was a huge event. And, you know, whenever they came to your town, it was this badge of honor to wear the T-shirt to school the next day. And yeah, it's it's no. very different now, and it's not. I don't want to say worse. I don't want to sound like a dinosaur, but it's certainly different. You know, and it, it makes it. Yeah, it's different, and and you know what, you know, at the end of the day, the only, the really the only, I keep telling the guys in the band this too, and people around me, and you know my, and you know fans are like, oh man, I can't believe you guys don't play more, and I can't believe you guys aren't blah blah blah. And I'm like, well, you know, here's the thing, the only thing that I can really do is write a song, record it, and release it. At least I have that uh, in in my own hands. Back in the day, you could write record. Well, not even record, because back back then a studio would cost you like fifteen hundred bucks a day, you know, a professional recording studio. Nowadays, hey man, let's do it in my kitchen, you know, and it can still sound great. So, so luckily, as a musician, um, my my portal to get my music out there is 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 it's easier, except the market that I put it on is just saturated because everybody can do it. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a double edged sword, you know. Yeah, somebody who you know, doesn't have the luxury of you know a major record label support can make an album, and unfortunately, it's the people who have label support make an album. So you're right; it's it's a extremely flat playing field. And, and oh yeah, definitely yeah, and and a lot less to choose from because the, the the couple of record companies that are still out there they they have kind of like a monopoly on on uh, promo and uh, yeah. and or support and, and whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can definitely tell um, when, even even with new bands when there's a push financially because you see way more buzz about a band. Uh, I, I don't want to mention any particular bands, but um, some bands where you go, how in the hell did they get that big that fast? They're not that good. Uh, and but it's sometimes the machine still works, and that happened in the '80s too. You know, there were bands in oh, yeah, exactly. big that were crap. Yeah, but there were there were there was just so many more of them, and there was the market so bigger and and so much more bigger than it is now. So, but you know, it, it sounds like I'm, I'm complaining. I don't want to complain because I'm I'm a realist and I I realize what's going on. But it doesn't it, it doesn't stop me and and the guys in the band, you know, writing songs. And at the end of the day, if nobody was to buy 
a CD. If you know, if CDs and LPs, if that would just to, people would just stop tomorrow buying it, it would just be Spotify. I'd I'd still you know put the effort and time into to write a to write songs and album because that is at the end of the day, it's great playing live. Don't get me wrong, I love playing live. That's why you know I do that tribute band thing because I just like the the interaction of a band and an audience and and, and the response and stuff. But if I can't get it through my my you know original music it doesn't it won't stop me writing and 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 recording and that's great to hear you know you know that's the essence of the art yeah. you know as opposed to being uh, you know there are bands don't get me wrong that are they're merchandise machines you know it's yeah. about getting product in your hand getting t-shirts getting mugs getting whatever um, wobbles you know, balls yeah yeah, I mean, yeah exactly <laughs> that's where all, i draw the line <laughs> all the other bands who hit us with 30 percent off sales for black friday and yes yeah, those yeah exactly yeah. That's, and yeah. then you re- realize that the certain sector of the music industry is still a retail market um but um, as as i mentioned you guys have seven miles to pittsburgh it's been out now for about two months um it's available i know it's on spotify but you know Please buy the product. Uh, you know, yeah, that'd be great. Good, because I mean, there's a lot of effort went into. I mean, we, we do everything ourselves. You know, the, the the sleeve, I put the sleeve together. The 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 photography is done by you know local guys that we know. Um, so so we try and keep it you know local and, and help people out and give them a portal for, for their stuff because it's just as hard for a photographer nowadays, <laughs> maybe even more uh, than it is for a band. You know. So, yeah, so it's a lot of effort goes into it. You know, we, we really try and, and put something out there that's worth, you know. And I still buy L, uh, LPs, man. You know, talk about, you know, acting and sounding old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know I, what, though? That makes you sound young and hip in, in this market, though. I mean, because that is truly where, at least in the U.S., the record buying or the music buying public has moved to records. Yeah, so and, but here's and the same thing, man. It's, it's amazing that that because uh, it was that was I mean that market was dead. I mean that there were you couldn't even get a if you wanted to get vinyl press, there wasn't even a, a place you could do it because they would all been sold off or, or been you know they were gone. But uh, yeah, we see it over here too, man. It's it, I think it's it's that you know something that you can actually touch that thing. You know, wow, and you know we know that because we've been there. But I also see young kids, you know, getting into it a bit, you know, they're a bit more uh, hip to. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing. You buy an album and then you make sure you listen to it. And then, and then you have to get up. You know, here we go again. Get off your lazy ass and turn it around to listen to side B, you know, instead of put, you know, it on shuffle or whatever. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, Andrew, I don't want to keep you. I want to thank you so much for your time. Hopefully, you know, before too long, we'll see you back in the States um, with uh, Seven Miles of Pittsburgh here in pittsburgh would be awesome um but we wish you all the success it's a great album you know oh, thanks, man. shine a spotlight on it uh, because it's not easy you know as a music fan it's not easy to weed through you know what's oh, good yeah. you know especially well, when it's, it's like, yeah a there's new so band. much out there man and you know and 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 i'll tell you another thing too is that there, there's i mean there's a lot out there okay there's a lot that you know depending on your taste or whatever but the, the the musicianship and the craftsmanship of musicians is getting better and better and better all the time too so you know it's uh, it's 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 going to get tougher and tougher but um you know we're going to sit down soon and start album number 3 because you know you don't need anybody to tell you what to do and what not to do when you when it comes to writing your own stuff so 
Oh, fantastic. Look forward to that and and much more to come from Seven Miles to Pittsburgh. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. At any time you, you want to interview or whatever, just uh, let me know. All right. Again, a big thank you to Andrew Elt, Seven Miles to Pittsburgh. I uh, hope you enjoyed that interview and really appreciate him taking the time to give us a call, as I mentioned, all the way from the Netherlands. Uh, to talk about that and invite you to check out their, their two albums, um, Revolution on Hold being the newest. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the show, highly recommend you go back and check out some of those Sleazebees albums. Um, you know, I, I remember, uh, I think it was Tough did a song called American Hair Band or something, American Hair or something, back uh kind of in the early days when I first got XM radio and I remember hearing that song they would mention the Sleazebees in that and it you know always kind of remember that band but really enjoyed going back and listening to those records so uh, really enjoyed catching up with Andrew and uh, appreciate his time and, and the Seven Mounts Pittsburgh really really cool music so check that out we're going to turn our attention now to uh, a Taz crew who will be coming in with his band of tortured souls to do a show at Club Cafe on January 16th, so by the time you hear this, it's time to start making your plans to get out to the Club Cafe on the south side uh, to check these guys out. Uh, Taz has been around for a long time, got a lot of records under his belt. He's got a brand new one that's going to be coming out really uh, within the next couple weeks. It's called Drive On. Um, he's got... You know, I, I think when you, when you look at his music, you kind of think, okay, he's a blues musician, and you have a certain sound in your head from blues musicians but when you listen to him there's a lot of different uh, flavors to his music so we're going to talk to him about that so play you a little bit of Taz music let's get into that interview with Taz
in Memphis town, down on the corner of a King and B. Here we are back in Memphis. Let the blues play how good it can feel. I heal my soul, heal my soul, heal my soul. We have Taz Crew on the line. How are you doing, Taz? I'm doing great today. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. You're going to be rolling into Pittsburgh. It's actually a little over a week now. You're going to be doing a show at the Club Cafe on the 16th. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I know you, you perform in different configurations. Um, are you bringing in a band with you at this for this particular show? Or are you going to be uh, doing an acoustic thing? Or, or what? Uh, what's the setup for that night in particular? Well, uh, yeah, I'm definitely bringing a band. This is the kickoff date of a very long tour for my new album, Drive On. Um, and for the first part of that tour, I'm kicking it off with a four-piece band, um, of course, with drums, bass, and uh, another guitarist that's along with me as well. Now, the new album, you know, I, your, your music always kind of, to me, defined or defied just saying, okay, he's a blues artist. You know, it, it's you expect certain things when you hear, you know, you say somebody's a blues artist, and, and your music, to me, kind of branches into some different colors and flavors and things like that. Um, it, was that in, intentional, or is that just kind of the, the product of the influences you have, or, or am I misconstruing what I'm hearing? No, you got it exactly right on. Uh, it actually took me a while to embrace that, because, you know, to call yourself a blues artist, there are different people out there that believe this is blues and this is blues and this is blues and that ain't and that ain't that ain't so you know it took me a while to get comfortable with the fact that these I, you know i'm not a young man i played music a long time and these influence have influences have shaped uh not only the way i play but the way that i write songs and and i'm very comfortable with it i'm i call myself a blues eclectic meaning that i don't really um adhere to one particular style and i do like them all i love chicago stuff i love uh mississippi drone stuff i i love you know jettier stuff so it's just whatever the song seems to grow into that's that brings out that through different influences so you're right on when you write do you uh, you know specifically maybe you know to try to limit the focus of the question but for the album drive on are, are you a person who writes you know maybe a riff you know, or kind of noodles and, and finds a song, or does you know something hit you in your day to day life and you make a note in a notebook that you know I want to write you know something about this particular subject and you start with a lyric or how, how do you approach the craft? Well, the the answer to that is yes. Uh, all of those different things happen. Um, some songs uh, start with a start with a lyric. Some songs start with a concept. Some of them start with something that I observe. Some of them start with noodling. 
to get to get a particular riff. I go, oh, I like that. I want to write a song around that. So it really, really depends. Does it give you some freedom as a as a writer when you don't necessarily, you know, box yourself in with the blues to write maybe a riff? Or you know, when you think of you know blues, you think of certain keys and, and, and certain you know scales for writing. When you think of from a lyrical standpoint, you know you don't hear a, a ton of happy blues songs. I mean, this not to say there aren't, but does it give you a little bit of liberty to explore things? You know that maybe if you just said you know, it's mine. I'm Taz Crew. I'm you know as blue as it can be. You know, artist. Uh, you're absolutely right. It does give you that liberty, and I try to take full advantage of that. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, so, you know, to, to further expand upon that thought, um, having those liberties meaning that they can take shape in the way a song is overall structured or the feel that you put into it, um, the, you know, whether it's the rhythm aspect of it or in the lyrical aspect of it. I mean, that's what I love about this genre is that it's possibilities are just seem to me endless. And I'm going to mine every one of them as long as I can. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always fun to hear as somebody, you know, who's at the stage of the career you're in that loves the process of creating new music um you know oh, absolutely. It, 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 yeah. it, and it's i think for better or worse i think musicians above a certain age you know probably sadly about 40 can get by in the music industry just playing the same things you know and you know especially if you have some hits you know a lot of artists can make a living touring on their hits but it's great to hear when artists are driven by the creative process um you know and it certainly fun for you know for fans you know that want to hear this i notice on your um the cover of, of drive on um you've got a cigar box guitar or at least the the character on the on the album do you play a lot of cigar on this um particular album i don't play a lot of cigar i play some um that guitar is um uh, a very interesting guitar it's not technically a cigar box but it's it's built actually by it's a very fine guitar um built by built by a luthier that used to work for martin guitars um and he built that for me because he wanted to build a guitar that looked like a cigar box guitar but actually was a very very fine guitar he was rather incensed by my guitar <laughs> my cigar box guitar as a luthier as like come on dude you gotta play something that's a real guitar and I said, well, what are you talking about? That was his thing. I just went along with it. He made it for me and said, here, I want you to have this. So it's fun. But it's a really fine guitar. It's made out of really good woods and and really uh, a very thoughtful uh, creation. Yeah, which is kind of, I mean, when you say that, it is kind of the antithesis of a cigar box. As soon as you said the word luthier was involved, uh, I, I figured we go. were going in another but direction. I, I, do, I do play a cigar box guitar, and I, I do play it live as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I know from my own experience, my, my cigar box guitar is about the furthest thing from. I would be humiliated to show it to somebody who is even remotely affiliated with Martin guitar. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's it, having said that, though, but it's just fun as fun. hell. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. 
great guitar yeah. to, to to bang out some percussive stuff on that I really enjoy playing it. And it's it's fun to see you know even though it's such I don't want to say a primitive instrument, but in some ways a primitive instrument that it enjoys still such popularity. Well, it's even more popular than ever. Unfortunately, to the point that commercial manufacturers are creating them now. But I'll tell you what, no one appreciates that guitar more than kids in school programs. So I go to school programs, especially I, that I just watch that eighth grade boy who thinks he's way too cool for this, you know, doesn't want to be there. I break that thing out and I just watch the reaction and they're just like, they freak out over it. And, and I use it to reinforce the point and the blues that the most important thing about blues music is that it's music that's from within you. It do, you don't require a $10,000 instrument in order to make it good. It has to start with what's inside of you. That's my point. And I tell them about the primitive instruments that blues players used to use compared to what we have available to us now. And they get it and they love that thing. Am, am I correct? You, you do you do some work uh, with programs taking music into schools, correct? Absolutely. Yes, I do. I've been doing it for a while. Uh, I was honored with the Keeping the Blues Alive Award a few years ago from the Blues Foundation for that work. I, you know, I like to tell people they go, you know, they, I've done quite a few uh, programs in Pittsburgh before in the past. Um, can I mention some of the names? Well, for the Blues Society of, of Western Pennsylvania... Uh, is a real shaker and mover of the Blues Society, and they do a lot of blues in schools. I've done some work with a teacher down there named Lori Russo. I don't know if you know her. Um, in her school, I've done some work with uh, the, um, oh, my goodness, at the hospital with, uh, oh, her husband was a drummer. Oh, the Sonny Pugar, Pugar Foundation. Uh so yeah, you know I've done a, a lot of things there, but and like I tell people, they you know they often get a, I get a pat on the back for doing that, and and yes, it is good to do. It's a wonderful thing to do, but to be honest with you, it also is very very helpful when you got a band on the road and you got to pay that band a salary and you got to pay expenses. You got to look for places where you can make a buck on a Tuesday at 10 a.m. Sure, yeah, it's yeah. not. Not an easy thing to do to keep uh, any size no. band, you know, when you mention a four-piece band or a larger band especially. Some, yeah, sometimes it's a seven-piece band. Whoa. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's, you know, in, in playing clubs and, you know, smaller venues, that's not a, not an easy thing to do to keep, you know, gas in the tank, let alone mouths fed and hotel uh, rooms. And, and salaries paid. Yeah, exactly. For some reason, these people want to get paid when they go out there. I don't know why. Yeah, It'll work on a model where you just ask for volunteers to come up and back yeah. you every every city. That might be the. That's that, true. That might get, might get me stoned by your band, but um, when you go into schools, you know you're you're in a, in a way sadly you're going to a generation that maybe doesn't hear blues music. I mean, I know you know growing up we we were kind of lucky in that we had uh, you know Stevie Ray Vaughan was making popular music. Led Zeppelin was quite influential. Um, mm -hmm. But you know you're dealing with a generation now where rock music isn't necessarily the first thing on, you know, whatever electronic device they're consuming music with. Uh, does it sometimes almost like you're talking a foreign language to them until you you know 
let them, you know, experience that magic of making sound with the instrument? Well, it, it's, I'd have to say, it, it's very different depending upon several factors. Uh, in different parts of the country, they react differently. Uh, at different ages, they react differently. Um, for example, you know, the, the, the younger kids, I'd say 10 and under, they, they, go, they go crazy over it. They love it. Um, when you get into the, the, to the teen years, um, they're, they're not so inclined to get into the music per se, but they certainly do love the stories behind that music. Um, the history of the blues and it's how it, it came to be and how it influences other music. Um, they, they like that stuff. So, you know, they like it, you know, I don't know, you know, Willie Dixon, the great Willie Dixon, has, there's this quote from him that says, everybody loves the blues, it's just some don't know it yet. There's some truth in that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's become so ingrained in so many genres of music that people don't realize. Um, you no, know, they, don't, they don't recognize its influence, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's such a, you know, a treasure. Um, you know, when you think of American music and, you know, popular sure music. Really. And, um, can I ask, what got you inspired to write uh, the Doggone Blues book, uh, you know, the series, um, which I believe you've got one out now and two more forthcoming, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, they're forthcoming. Matter of fact, thank goodness I just finished up getting that new record, Drive On, out. So now I can get back to these books for a little while. Um yeah, well, that's an interesting story. I've always enjoyed uh, writing of all kinds. And uh, I had a, an opportunity to work with uh, some kids in England that were um, English as a second language learners. So they were, you know, probably 12, 13 years old, but their skills in reading and writing in English were um, were much younger. Uh, they're limited and one of the things we wanted to do with them was to uh, expose them to the blues but also maybe have them use those use the blues as a as a way to be to do some kind of writing activity right so uh, I had a record that I came out of in 2016 called doggone blues it's a it's an album of original songs about dogs who get the blues and why they get them and uh, I could go on and on about that, but that's not your question. We used those songs as a prompt. So we took the kids took these songs, and after they learned about the blues behind them, they took and chose the song and then tried to write a backstory about that song. Who was this dog? Where did this dog live? Where did they come from? Uh, who are the other people in this dog's lives? So they didn't really have an idea of how to approach writing a narrative story. So um, I had to model that for them with one of the songs when I started that. And uh, the song that I chose to model with was that ended up being the title of this first book called Bad Dog Bubba. And I had so much fun writing a little short, uh, you know, uh, 1,500, 2,000 word story as a model for them. I just said, I got to keep going with this. I was having a blast. So I, I just kept going with it. So there you yeah. go. 
It's a really uh, kind of an interesting idea when you think from an education standpoint because you're you're talking about creative writing, um, you're talking about creative listening. Um, you know, it's it's a really uh, an interesting concept, and, and the illustrations that Heather has done um, that I've seen thus far are fantastic. Um, yeah, she's great, know. isn't she? Yeah, it, it is. You know, is a, is a you know a parent who loves the blues. This just looks like a fantastic thing. You know, it's just kind of how quick can Amazon get a copy and, and here? That, that, my friend, you hit the nail right on the head. That is my aim of the book. A parent or a grandparent who loves the blues, it would be wonderful if they could spend some time with their child or grandchild or whoever, you know, reading and enjoying it together so that that person who loves the blues and knows a little bit about it could explain some of the things in there about what it means that, uh, who this blues man is that that the dog lives with and why he does what he does and uh, that's the whole purpose. It doesn't hurt that I'm a dog lover at heart too, so it looks like a winning combo. Me, me too. <laughs> yeah, it's excellent. Um, Obviously, the show you're doing on the 16th to come back uh, to that on the Club Cafe. Will you be kind of leaning heavy on the new album or or what? Um, are you still ironing out the set list? This late in the game oh, for those? I'm, no, no, no. We're we're set. This is this is the debut of my drive-on tour. I'm going to be out for about five and a half weeks, going traipsing around most of the country. I'm not going uh, uh, east of the Rockies anyhow. Uh, this is the very first show in which we debut this material live. Um, so that's going to be a, he- a heavy influence in in what we do. You know, I, I have a lot of original songs and I'll be playing mostly original songs there in that whole show from uh, previous albums as well. Yeah. Taz, do you, do you find blues fans, and maybe this is kind of a hard, hard question being that it's kind of the, the audience you're playing to, but uh, genuine, generally are more accepting of new material. We were just talking about this with some listeners today about, you know, legacy artists like, like an Aerosmith, for example, when they drop a new song, that becomes the restroom break, quite frankly. And I'm sure you've experienced that with, you know, bands that you love where sometimes they throw in a new song and it leaves you a little flat. But it does seem, to me at least, that blues fans eat the new stuff up. You know, you go see, you know, whomever, whether you see Buddy Guy or Bonamassa or whomever, you know, they really don't shy away from new material and fans don't seem to mind. Um, for the for the most part, I would say that that's absolutely true. Um, one of the things that I'm been puzzled about uh, from playing festivals is the number of times I've heard mark the marquee players, the headliners on the bill, playing a classic rock song. Um, I'm not going to mention his name, but note for note, almost. This gentleman from Louisiana did Black Magic Woman from Santana. And he didn't bluesify it. He didn't, it was almost note for note. And I've seen uh, rock bands, rock bands do, I mean, blues bands do that. And I've often wondered, and and it goes crazy, people go crazy. If you look at some of the major, major festival performers these days, the people that are headliners, uh, a lot of them are mostly 
blues rock people, you know, with a, a lot of flashy guitar. So there, I, 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 people are accepting of new music, I believe, but, you know, they sure do like to hear their tried and true classics, too. It really depends upon the audience. Let me give you an, an example. Can I? When I first started playing, playing down in Clarksdale, Mississippi at Ground Zero, that's, if people don't know, listeners, that is like, that is ground zero of the blues, as far as I'm concerned. It's a club owned by Morgan Freeman and uh, Bill Luckett. And when I first started playing there, I'll never forget one of my first gigs. I said to myself, oh, my friend, you're in the belly of the blues. You better bring some of your deepest stuff that you got going. And after the band and I had pretty much expended our our repertoire of that kind of stuff, you know, and I still had to get through the rest of the night. I reluctantly started uh, bringing up, uh, you know, classics, uh, blues classics, well-known blues songs. And wow, the audience responded like they went crazy over the stuff. And then I realized something like that. I call that tourist blues, you know, the stuff that every blues bar band plays. Um, and I was surprised. I go, why are these people, they're digging this. I, I'm in the heart of, of, of the Delta. You know, they're responding to this better than they did the deep stuff that I did. And then I realized, wait a minute, they're tourists. Of course. They were tourists visiting there. So th- there is that. You do have, people like to hear songs that they know. And if they don't know your music, you have to sprinkle some of those things in. And in my case, if I do, I like to make it, fun so that people recognize and enjoy the tune for because they know it, but I like to put a little something different into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, you, you do see, you know, with probably any band, regardless of genre, people want a certain thing. They want familiarity. Um, yes. And that's, you know, I think maybe maybe sometimes my own mind is on the fringe where I love to hear that obscure stuff or a song I've never heard before or somebody who plays the song from the album that's not out yet. Um, you know, that's that's a, a different angle of looking at it. Um, the new album, uh, Drive On, that hits the street uh, February 1, correct? Yep, February okay. 1, but people can get it now. They can get it from me directly at shows. Come out to okay. the show. That's Get exactly where I was easy. heading. Yeah, well, if the show, yeah. this album will be available there. That's great. So buy it before you can buy it. We'll call it. Come out to the show and you get the two for one there. You can get the new album and catch you guys live. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's, I want to thank you so much for your time. I don't want to keep you any longer. Again, you'll be in town on the 16th. Uh, knock on wood, the weather will be like it is today, and it's not snowing. You can get in and out of town safely. And uh, Thank you, thank you. All right, that about wraps up this episode, the first one of 2020 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. Uh, I want to take a moment to thank Andrew Elt of Seven Miles Pittsburgh and the Sleazebees, and also Taz Crew and uh, the band of Tortured Souls, who will be coming in to do a show on the 16th of the Club Cafe. I want to thank uh, all of you. Um, we, as I mentioned at the top of the show, have, this is our 11th year now, uh, and I know there are many of you out there who have been listening since year one. Uh, and admittedly, year, year one was uh, a lot of growing pains. Um, I think we kind of hit our stride more so in the second year. But uh, I want to thank all of you for for inviting us into your head. I guess, for lack of a better better uh, way to phrase that, but we've it's been an absolute honor to. 
to work with the musicians we have worked with over the years and also to uh, interact with all of you. We invite you to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Um, our email is G- or, I'm sorry, is uh, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Uh, love hearing from you guys. We do some poll questions on social media, just a random things that pop into our heads. Um, have a lot of fun with that. I love reading, and trust me, we read every comment uh, and really enjoy uh, hearing from you guys. So let us know what you think of the show. Let us know artists you might be interested in, artists you're tired of hearing about. Um, you know, anything that you think would make the show better, more interesting, please don't don't hesitate. We, we really appreciate any and all feedback. So until next time, I want to thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.